Welcome to How to Eat Less Water, the podcast for anyone who's concerned about the state of our environment and wants to live more sustainably, but is short on either time, money, ideas, or all three. I'm your host, Florencia Ramirez, author of the award-winning book, Eat Less Water, and a kitchen activist. Every Monday and Wednesday, I share bite-sized action steps anyone can implement in their kitchen. Why the kitchen? The average person eats between 500 to 1,300 gallons of virtual water every day. Our food is the best place to turn our hope for a better environment into action. Want to receive 10 tips to eat less water for your summer parties? Go to eatlesswater.com to download the free list. Now, let's dig in and grow well-being together. Welcome to the How to Eat Less Water podcast. I'm your host, Florencia Ramirez. How many eggs do you think the average American eats? The answer might surprise you. It's 250 eggs per year. Now, if you take that number and multiply it by the average water footprint of one egg, which is 23 gallons of water, the total amount of water that we eat through our eggs alone is 5,750 gallons of water per year. The largest share of water to produce an egg flows to the fields of grain. According to the USDA, chickens are a major feed grain user. Chickens, whether they're raised for meat or raised for eggs, eat approximately 100 billion pounds of feed every year. My goal for this episode is for you at the end to have all the information you need to purchase your next carton of eggs that saves water. In this episode, you'll understand the difference between organic and conventional eggs and decide whether or not you believe they are worth the extra cents. I will break down the difference between cage-free and the plain old egg. In other words, when there is no label of cage-free or free-range or pasture-raised listed on the carton. I'm also going to explain the difference between free-range and pasture-raised eggs. So let's dig in. First, let's explore the difference between organic versus non-organic eggs. When eggs are certified organic at minimum, you're supporting farms that are following these three basic tenets. No antibiotics, no pesticides, and non-GMO. In a conventional egg-laying operation, antibiotics is essential, especially for 95% of chickens that live inside of what's called a battery cage, which is a terrible situation for too many chickens that are living in very tight quarters. Essentially, a battery cage is the size of a piece of paper, just one piece of notebook paper where four hens live inside. And in those close quarters, animals are getting sick. And as a result, antibiotics are placed inside of the feed as a preventative measure. So when you pick up a carton of eggs that says, 
eggs. <laughs> that's what you're that's what you're purchasing. Eggs from a chicken that's lived its life inside of a battery cage. And with her come some serious problems because antibiotics are either transferred into the egg where then we eat it or remains embedded in the manure, which is then carted off to farmland around the nation. And this is not just an American issue. This is what's happening around the world. And also it washes into our streams and into our rivers and eventually into our ocean. The second tenet is no pesticides. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard me say it before, and you'll hear me say it again, is when we use chemical pesticides on our soil, we kill the soil, the microbiology in that soil, the the organisms that naturally hold water and also draw down carbon and grow more nutritious food. So the unintended result of spraying cropland with pesticides, to whether it's to kill weeds or it's to kill some type of pest or fungus, whatever the reason the the reason is for applying chemicals, the unintended result is diminished soil. And the diminished soil results in thirstier crops. And if we are to eat less water, we need to start building our soil. We need more microbiology to hold water. And I've said this before too, up to a thousand times more. And I keep saying that because it's just amazing and also maddening to think that we are killing the soil's natural capacity to hold and draw down water. So much of the solution for saving water on this planet has to do with the way we treat our soil. The third tenet for the organic designation for eggs is non-GMO. What does that mean exactly? We see that often. What is non-GMO and what is the value of it? If I'm specifically looking at eggs, the feed for chicken is likely coming from a soy and a corn field in the United States if they are not pasture-raised. Or even if they're pasture-raised, they're supplemented by feed. If we're specifically looking at chickens and egg layers, the feed is coming from a soy or a corn field in the United States. 94% of soybeans and 89% of corn are grown from genetically engineered seeds. Why does that matter? Because these seeds are designed to be paired with herbicides. So that's the issue. When the GMO seeds were introduced in 1990s, glyphosate, which is a key ingredient in Roundup, was less toxic than its contemporaries and required fewer applications to kill the weeds without harming the intended crop, in this case, the soy or the corn. But overall, the effectiveness of this herbicide has waned. And as a result, the plants or the weeds have built 
a resistance. And the weeds have become what's called super weeds. For example, Palmer amaranth weeds grows to be eight feet tall with a sturdy stem that damages machinery. And half of all farms surveyed in 2012, which are the last figures available, reported the presence of the superweed on their farm. And instead of moving away from GMO seeds, we've just sprayed more. (laughs) We've sprayed more. Overall, researchers estimate GMO crops are to blame for 404 million pound increase of herbicides, which is a 7% increase over the 15-year period. Okay, I know I just gave you a lot of information, but now that you know the difference between organic and conventional eggs, you can now make the decision of whether you're willing to pay more. I just looked at cage-free organic versus cage-free non-organic, and the the price difference is 84 four cents. That was today. If you break it down by egg, it is seven cents more per egg. And in that seven cents, I am growing well-being and I'm aligning myself with my values. I'm also supporting farmers who've made the decision to follow those USDA organic guidelines, which even at the very minimum, and many of them are doing more than the minimum, but at the very minimum, it takes more time and effort and energy and thoughtfulness to think outside of this conventional this conventional box i guess you could say i think it's a bargain for me it's worth it the extra money for my carton of eggs things get a little bit trickier to discern between free range and pasture raised because there are no clear definitions each brand, I guess, or farm, then can make the decision of how they want to label their eggs. So free range loosely can mean chickens have access to outdoors. In the worst case scenario, it could be a bunch of chickens housed in one crowded large barn area and have one small little opening where they have access to pasture outside. And it's not monitored in terms of how often they go out or even if they go outside. So that could still be considered free range because they have access to outside. Pasture raise is what I'm think when I think about the best eggs for water. What are the best agricultural methods to align myself with. And it is what they're doing at Coyote Creek Farms, which is a true pastured egg system where the animals are moved around from paddock to paddock. They're not allowed to overgraze any particular area. So even in in this particular farm that's located right outside of Austin, Texas, and it's dry and there's long periods of of no rain, but yet they don't need to irrigate their pasture because they've implemented this intentional grazing system where the animals are contributing to the health of, of the soil. And they're not returned to the paddock until 
all of that grass has been grown back. So how do you find your own your brands, your go-to brands. Because for example, Coyote Creek Farms, you can find in Texas and some other regions in the South, but not here in California. If I go to my grocery store here in Oxnard, I will not see Coyote Creek Farms. If I'm at the farmer's market, it makes it very easy because I have the farm right, the farmer right in front of me or someone who's selling on behalf of the farmer who can answer my questions, which is, how are they how are your chickens raised? You know, are your chickens outside on a pasture most of the time or at least in the months of the year when they can be outside when there is pasture? Are your chickens rotated or do they stay just on one pasture? That's another question that I ask. Now, if I'm at a grocery store, Clearly, I can't ask those questions, but I do notice that there's more and more information provided inside the carton itself that tells me uh, the story about the the, um, farm, or they even have QR codes that will take you to their website so that they so that you can see pictures of the farm you can read about the farm because if it's if nothing is said about pasture raised or chickens living outside or talking about the behaviors that chickens are afforded on that farm or if they they're not talking about the types of grasses that they're using they're not doing it The good news is when you do the research and you ask those questions, whether at the farmer's market or ask those questions virtually by visiting websites and understanding what it is or what you're buying, you only have to do that once. Really, you only have to do that once. And then you have your go-to eggs, whether it's your go-to person at the farmer's market or your go-to carton of eggs at the grocery store. And you don't have to do it again over and over again. And then you can just move on to that next ingredient. It doesn't all happen at once. It happens incrementally, one ingredient at a time. But the things to really begin with to be more intentional about are things with higher water footprints like eggs, dairy, any pro animal protein. Those food items have huge impacts on our water systems attached to too many bad stories. But there are farmers out there who are who are building soil through animal husbandry. I hope I achieved what I set out to achieve at the beginning of this episode. It was a mouthful and and it has taken many takes to get this right because it is confusing. It can be very confusing, but it doesn't have to be. And like I said, you just have to find your people, your farmers, and then support them and support them so that they can grow and they can survive and they can bring more vitality to this planet and to our food and to our plate. I'm going to end the episode here. Please reach out to me if you have any questions that you want me to answer. I am here to be of service to you. Join me here again every Monday and Wednesday where I'll share action tips 
you can implement starting today. There is power in the collective. Be well. Let's stay connected. Sign up for my newsletter and receive more tips in your inbox weekly and 15% off your first purchase at the Eat Less Water Shop. You can also find me on your favorite social media space at Eat Less Water. Please remember to hit subscribe and leave a review, even if it's only the star rating, because every one of them will increase the chances of other like-minded folks to find us. Thank you for joining me on this journey to eat less water. Together, we will write the story of well-being for this planet we have the privilege to call home. Meet you back here every Monday and Wednesday. There is power in the collective. Thank you.